Good morning. Please open your Bibles to John chapter 1. That's where we'll be looking today at a very significant and important name of Jesus. The Bible contains many names and titles and descriptions of Christ. The inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God gives us a picture of Jesus, reveals Him as Almighty God, as the Alpha and the Omega, as the author and perfecter of our faith, as the Son of God and the Son of Man, the bread of life, the bright and morning star, the way, the truth, and the life. And among those names, there are two that we're going to look at this week and next. Today, Palm Sunday, and next week, Easter, I want to call your attention to two significant names of Jesus. So our focus today will be on Jesus, the Lamb of God. Next week, Easter, Jesus, the Shepherd. So if you're able, please stand with me. I'm going to read John chapter 1, verses 29 through 36. That will be our primary place of residence today in the Word of God, specifically verses 29 and 36. This is God's Word. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of being here to read and to hear your word. Lord, may I be out of the way. May you be center stage. May may Jesus the Lamb capture our attention and our affections. All for your glory. In Christ's name. Amen. The question before us today is, what difference does it make that Jesus is the Lamb of God? What's the significance? What does it mean that He is the Lamb of God? How should it change our lives? How should it make a difference tomorrow morning how should it excite our souls and and drive us to live more fully for jesus and the gospel that is the question before us today what is the significance of jesus being the lamb of god 
Why does it matter? Why should it matter to us? It's a great question. John wrote his gospel for a reason. And he stated it very clearly in John chapter 20, nearing the end of his gospel. He said that Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But then he says in John chapter 20, verse 31, but these are written. So everything that's been recorded in John's gospel have been written for one reason and one reason only. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. John's purpose for writing is that we would believe in Jesus and have life in his name. That is my prayer today. That as we focus on Jesus, the Lamb of God, that we would grasp what it means and and its implication upon our lives and that we would put our trust more fully in Jesus. Let me give you some background on John's Gospels. It would be helpful. John is writing with this very specific purpose in mind. He is showing that Jesus is God. He wants people to believe in Jesus. And he is writing around 85 AD. It's in a time where people had had all sorts of expectancy and then were disappointed, some in Jesus. They're like, no, we're going to look for another Savior. No, he's not the promised deliverer. No, he's not the Messiah. There was also an expectancy that was ongoing of deliverance from oppression, particularly of the political sort. But John is writing, and he starts right off the bat, on a high note, in verse 1 of chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Nothing came into being apart from Him. In Him was life. The life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's how he starts. He's making a case that Jesus is God. He says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory is as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. He is highlighting who Jesus is. In chapter 1 verse 6 he calls his first witness he says there was a man sent from God whose name was John now he's not talking about himself he's talking about John the Baptist here's John the Apostle who's talking about John the Baptist so to begin his argument that Jesus is God he records the testimony of John the Baptist regarding Jesus Now, by the time that John the Baptist came on the scene, there had not been a prophet in Israel for some 400 years. He's the cousin of Jesus. He was chosen by God to be the forerunner for the Messiah. He paved the way for Jesus. If you're familiar with anything about John the Baptist, you'll know that he had crazy clothes and crazy food. And he wasn't doing it just to be unique and draw attention to himself. He had the clothes and food of the poor he wore camel's hair his diet was grasshoppers and wild honey because that's what poor people ate here is the very first prophet in a very long time coming onto the scene and what does he say 
Verse 19 of chapter 1, John says, This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him a very important question. Who are you? It's a great question. Who are you? And here's what he replied. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, What then are you, Elijah? And he says, No, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So they said, Who are you? And I love it. He says, I'm a voice. I'm a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Make ready a a way for the Lord, make his path straight. I'm a voice. I'm not the word. I'm a voice. And I'm going to use my voice to highlight the word. Jesus, God in the flesh. John the Baptist's testimony to Christ's deity. We'll pick it up at verse 29 here in John chapter 1. He sees Jesus coming toward him. Where are they? They're in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Why was John baptizing? He was baptizing people because he was calling them to repentance because the kingdom of heaven was at hand. He was the forerunner to the Messiah. God was preparing the hearts of people to receive the Messiah. Tenderizing their hearts. And they were coming to be baptized. And John sees Jesus walking towards him. And he makes a very curious statement. He says, behold, listen up, listen in. This is important. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He says, this is, this is the one who ranks higher than me. He was before me. Well, John was born before Jesus on earth, but what he's saying is, it wasn't as if Jesus was just a little bit better than him, but so far higher and so far better, he existed before He uses the word for I am. He says he's the great I am. He's God. He's greater. He's bigger. He's higher. So his testimony is, here's Jesus, bigger and better. He says, God told me that he on whom I saw, you see the dove, the spirit, resting on like a dove and remaining. He is the one. So here's the only prophet in 400 years who comes on the scene and says, I'm not a big deal. Jesus is. I'm not the word, I'm a voice. He's the word made flesh. He says he is the lamb of God. Now the use of a lamb for sacrifice though was very familiar to the Jews. It was used at sacrifice for, during Passover. That would have been very common to them. The lamb that was led to slaughter in Isaiah's prophecy would have been familiar to them. The lamb that was offered in the daily sacrifices in the temple would be very well known to them. And John the Baptist is referring to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus on the cross to atone for the sins of the world. That's what he's referring to. Well, what does it tell us about Jesus? What does it mean that Jesus is the Lamb of God? What difference does it make? 
Why is it significant? As you consider this verse, three primary truths emerge. Three primary truths that must be at the forefront of our hearts and our minds if we're going to grasp the significance of Jesus as the Lamb of God. The first truth we see is in those words, Behold the Lamb of God. The first truth is that Jesus is God's sovereignly appointed Lamb. Sovereignly appointed. The willing provision. The Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away, literally to carry up, to bear upon himself, to carry off the sin. It's in the singular. And it emphasizes the immense mass of sin and the heavy burden of guilt incurred upon mankind. The sin of the world. And when he says the Lamb of God who carries away the sin of the world, it is an evident, it is a blatant reference to the various uses of the Lamb as a sacrifice in the Old Testament. That everything those sacrifices foreshadowed and predicted was peerlessly fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ and His sacrifice at the cross. So when Jesus is called the Lamb of God in John 1.29 and verse 36, it's referring to Him as the ultimate God-ordained sacrifice for sin. Now you see sacrifices in the Old Testament. As early as Cain and Abel, that Abel brought a sacrifice from the flocks, doesn't call it a lamb, some presume that it is, but he brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions to honor God. But it isn't until you get to Genesis chapter 22 where you see the first mention of a lamb sacrificed. And you see this foreshadowing of Jesus as the sacrificial lamb in the story of Abraham and Isaac. And the story goes that God came to Abraham and said, Take your son, your only son whom you love, and go offer him on the mountain to which I will show you. And as the story goes, Abraham immediately obeyed and took his son and took wood for a burnt offering and they came to the place that God had specified when they got to the place Abraham said to the servants that were with him my son and I are going to go on further and worship then we will return to you great faith this man of God and as they were going his son Isaac asks him I see the fire, I see the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham says, Jehovah Jireh, God is going to provide a lamb for himself. When they get to the place and Abraham arranges the wood on the altar and binds his son and takes the knife to slay his son, and at the moment where he would obey God, God said, Stop. I know you fear me. I know you honor me. Do nothing to your son. And Abraham looks up 
and sees a ram caught in the thorns by its horns. God provided, he takes the lamb and the the ram and offers it on the altar and called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. John is calling Jesus the Lamb of God and, and Abraham and Isaac and that example foreshadows Jesus as this sacrificial lamb, this appointed one. But they would also think of the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb, and we're going to look in more detail on Friday night at our Seder service, but the Passover feast, one of the big deals for the Jews and remembering God's deliverance of them from bondage in Egypt. And the slaying of the Passover lamb, the the plying of the blood on the doorposts of the house, It's a beautiful picture of of Christ's atoning work on the cross. For those whom he died are covered by his blood, protecting them from the wrath of God against sin. They would also have thought of the Old Testament law which required that people would bring lambs for the daily sacrifice at the temple. That every morning and evening a lamb was sacrificed in the temple for the sins of the people. These daily sacrifices, like all the others, were pointing to something bigger and better, the perfect sacrifice of Christ on the cross, the Lamb of God. Isaiah speaks of Jesus. The clearest explanation of the death of Christ and its meaning for us is found in Isaiah chapter 53. It speaks of Christ, the Lamb of God. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He bore our griefs, he carried our sorrows, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, the chastisement that brought us peace By his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have each turned to his own way and the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. God's sovereign appointed lamb. Verse 7 in Isaiah 53, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, but he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth, this lamb of God. I hear that in New Zealand, there's like three million people and a bazillion lambs, bazillion sheep, sheep everywhere. There's one lamb of God. One lamb of God. Only one. Appointed by God. God in the flesh. Isaiah says it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was in the plan of God. He has put him to grief. His soul makes an offering for sin. He will see his offspring. That's those who come to faith in Christ. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. 
Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. God's wrath against sin appeased in that one offering of the one perfect, sovereign, appointed lamb. He poured out his soul to death. He was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many. His lamb. The lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. One lamb. Sacrifice, slaughtered, slain to give life. And it was appointed by God. Jesus said in John chapter 10, No one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. And I receive this from my Father. Just like on the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So when Jesus went to the cross, it was necessary for him to die. And it is necessary for us to believe in the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. It is necessary that we grasp this truth, that he is God's sovereignly appointed lamb. That's the first truth. We see it. Behold, the lamb of God. Second truth. Second truth, that takes away the sin the second truth is he is the believer's substitute lamb. The believer's substitute takes away the sin in the place of the one who sinned. All of us. He sacrificed himself for us. He died in our place as our substitute. Once for all our sacrifice. Jesus, the lamb of God. Perfect substitute, sacrifice, ransom paid to set us free. He's the perfect substitute. In some places in the Bible, the description of Jesus reveals his perfection by saying that he is as white as snow. Daniel 7, verse 9, the ancients of days has clothing that is white as snow. After the resurrection, Jesus' appearance is described as white as snow in Matthew 28, 3. And then in the book of Revelation, the glorified Christ is described as having hair as white as snow. White as snow is the symbol of absolute purity and perfection. No dirt, no grime, no sin. Absolute perfection. Jesus had no sin. He's the perfect Lamb of God. He is our perfect substitute. Our only substitute. In the Old Testament, the only sacrifice that you could bring to the priest to obtain forgiveness was an unblemished, spotless lamb. The lambs brought to the priest simply foreshadowed the perfect lamb who would take away the sin of the world. Peter says it in 1 Peter 1. He says, you know that it was not with perishable things like silver or gold that you were redeemed from your empty way of life handed down to you by your forefathers. But with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect chosen before the foundation of the world God's sovereign lamb and revealed in these last times for your sake the believer's perfect substitute lamb 
Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and your hope are in God. Your faith must be in the perfect lamb. The sufficient sacrifice, the the ransom that was slaughtered who willingly went to the cross and took the wrath that we deserved due to our sin so that our sin could be taken care of and that we might have life and that we would have a wrathless eternity. A wrathless eternity. That is cause for praise. Besides saying praise God for this, I, my most common exclamation is wow. Wow, God did that for me. Wow, I'm overcome with the depth of the truth and what it means in my life. That it was necessary for Jesus the Lamb to die in my place. That the unweighable burden of my sin and the world's sin, so crushingly excruciating this sin, this unpayable debt, that God himself, God himself, let that sink in. God himself took care of it. So all who would believe would be forever indebted to the Lamb of God, the one who alone dwells in immortality and unapproachable light, that we would forever bow in gratitude and say, wow, all of our days, because the magnitude of the love and the mercy and the, and the grace poured out on our behalf in our stead. He's our only hope of eternal life. There is no other hope. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's the only Savior and Lord. There is no other. If you're thinking that another is going to come on the scene, much like many of the people that John was writing this gospel to, you are sadly mistaken. There is no other Lamb. He is our leader. He is the source of salvation. He took the wrath. He averted the judgment. So if you are asked, who is Jesus? You will not get off the hook by saying, a good teacher, a good guy, a good example, or even a healer. You will not get off the hook because he is the lamb that was led to slaughter. Willingly, gladly, pleasingly, by his own blood. Hebrews 9 tells us, When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thereby securing eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer Sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, our perfect substitute, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant. There is no other mediator, there is no other covenant, there is no other lamb. 
Jesus, the Lamb of God. If you are a believer today and you say, I've placed my faith in Christ alone for salvation, he has secured your eternity. And if he's secured your eternity, then your temporal life is also taken care of. Your temporal life will be rocky and bumpy and filled with moguls and a lot of troubles and frustrations. I think it would be very easy for us to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus being the Lamb of God, how is that going to translate into helping my work situation or my school issues or dealing with difficult family members and friends and neighbors? And how is Jesus being the Lamb of God going to make a difference in my economic situation and the stress I'm feeling and my relational difficulties? How is Jesus being the Lamb of God going to significantly alter my mindset and my outlook and my bad attitude? How's that going to happen? And the answer is found in realizing that the gospel truth we say we believe covers it. If you believe the gospel affects every part of life and that you are transformed by the grace of God in Christ, then gladly accept the life-altering ramifications of that truth that Jesus is the Lamb of God and He is your only substitute. He is your only option. Romans 8.32 says it really well. Paul says, If God did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? You look at the rest of of Romans chapter 8, and it says all of life is covered. All of life is covered. God's got it under control. You can trust him. So you're hurting today. You may be going through the most difficult, rough rough patch of your life. You're in a tough spot. It would be very easy just to try to escape and try to work it out on your own and figure it all out in your own mind. And what you need to do is say, "I, I need the lamb who was sacrificed for me. He's sufficient. You might have had the worst week of your life just now. And everything seems to be crumbling around you. And if you believe and acknowledge that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, and if you have placed your faith and your trust in Him, in that objective word, not in your subjective feelings, then you can have peace that passes understanding. Therefore, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you might encounter Job-like hardships in your life. And do you think that the tragedy and the unimaginable pain that you've experienced and are experiencing is unbearable? But if you could see Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, has appeared. You acknowledge him as God. You follow him with unreserved trust. All your problems won't evaporate, but you will be filled with joy inexpressible and full of glory, and you will receive as the outcome of your faith, as Peter puts it, the salvation of your souls. Look, when when difficult times come into our life, our knee-jerk reaction is, hey, God is angry with me and giving me wrath because I haven't been good, haven't been good enough. So you make resolutions and you figure, I got to get God off my back. I got to figure this out and be better. 
then everything else will go well for me. It's not because you and I are good that we get anything in Christ. Who can forgive? Only the Lamb. It's very easy for us to doubt the love of God in Christ when troubles come into our life and we get downcast and discouraged and disappointed and we've got to remember the love of God is based on the grace of God and we are accepted in Christ not because we are good but because Christ is good. Don't draw your conclusions about the love of God based on your circumstances. Draw your conclusions about your circumstances based upon the love of God. We love him because he first loved us. And he loves us with an everlasting love. Jesus loves you. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world loves you. He loves you. Let that sink in. Don't run away from that truth. Don't push it to the side and say, I want something better because there is nothing better. If you're a solid believer if you're on the right track you're growing in Christ you're, you're in the word you're striving in your relationship with God and other people then keep trusting the lamb don't start thinking that somehow somehow you have become really good on your own don't think that somehow you're, you're doing well because of because God is rewarding you for good behavior Rest in Christ. He is your only righteousness. The Lamb of God, your, your, your substitute, He's your only righteousness. I like how John Stott put it. He says, Humbly as sinners, yet boldly as forgiven sinners, we press into God's presence, responding to His loving initiative with an answering love of our own. You may be complacent today. Maybe you've slipped and slid and slid away from trusting in Christ and his sacrifice and you are now trusting in your own good works and there was a moment in your life that you thought you were trusting in Christ but now you are trusting solely in yourself or solely in man's wisdom. You're not trusting in the word of God. You're not going to the perfect lamb. Sin is so deceptive it's easy to slip away. It's easy to be so foolish as to try to complete in the flesh what was started by the Spirit. Paul told the Galatians in Galatians 3.1, You foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you? Who has bewitched you? You cannot finish in the flesh what God started in the Spirit. Jesus is the author and perfecter of your faith. The Spirit wants to break us of spiritual pride, the folly of self-righteousness, where we are always fixated on the sins of other people and we no longer feel any conviction for our own sin. Well, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, has appeared, and we're to acknowledge Him and acknowledge our sin and run to Him. His blood avails. Wash in that fountain and not the fountain of your putrid self-righteousness. Do you know why you can stay away from sin as a believer? Do you know why you should? Do you know why you should take 
take care to not fall into sin and why you should deal with sin when it is present? You only have to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when Paul describes a situation in that church where there was blatant sin in the church and he says, you become arrogant, you are not dealing with it. And he tells them what to do and then he gives them the reason why. The reason why they are to deal with this sin. The reason why they are to hate their sin. The reason why they are to run from it is because of 1 Corinthians 5, 7. When Paul says, here's the reason why. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Christ died for sin. Don't play with sin. It's so easy to think, I'm just going to sin and do that and then ask for forgiveness later. And here's the reason why you shouldn't do that. Because Christ, your Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Passover lamb. Slayed, slaughtered, killed in our place. Isn't it so easy to think of lambs as kid stuff though? Mary had a little lamb. Little Bo Peep. You know what I need to remember, what you need to remember every day is that the Lamb of God, you can finish this with me, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. What difference does it make that Jesus is the Lamb of God? He's your substitute, He's your peace, He's your freedom, He's your security. He's your sufficiency. All-sufficient Savior. This lamb, this only noteworthy lamb who has been killed for us and secured forever, eternal life for all who believe. This lamb can assure you of peace that you've never known. So, so may we follow him closely and may we trust him in everything. This lamb who is our perfect substitute. He's the believer's substitute lamb. That's the gospel message. Jesus, the lamb of God, is at the heart of the gospel. He sacrificed himself, our substitute, our ransom, our payment, slaughtered in our place, really beaten, savagely killed, so that we might live. Do you know this lamb? Do you know this lamb? Do you go to this lamb again and again and again? Do you know this lamb? Is this lamb of extreme importance to you? He needs to be. You will either worship him or you will run from his wrath. The first two truths. Jesus is the sovereignly appointed lamb. And Jesus is the believer's substitute. The third truth. I've wrestled with how I, I can put this into words and I really don't know how else to put it. Jesus is the world's, the unbelieving world's scary nightmare lamb. The wrathful lamb, the righteously vengeful lamb, the justly angry lamb. If you're an unbeliever, he's your nightmare lamb. Who's afraid of a little lamb? Well, verse 29 tells us he's the savior, he's the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. He's the only Savior provided for humanity. Whosoever would believe, John says this in, in chapter 1, verse 12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. It's a universal invitation 
that you can receive, but if you reject it, then Jesus is your nightmare lamb. John says, behold. Listen up. Pay attention to this testimony. You know, I don't see how anyone could run away from that lamb unless he was blinded by the devil and deluded beyond all reason. That is the nature of spiritual deadness, by the way. An utter inability to do for yourself what you would want to do if you could see and perceive and recognize your true spiritual condition. The Lamb of God, you must acknowledge Him for who He is. Who takes away the sin, you must acknowledge your sin. When you see Jesus as the Lamb of God, you are aware of your sinfulness. You need for salvation. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, all humanity is in need of this saving grace. But no one is exempt from that need. In Revelation chapter 5, Revelation has like 25 references to the Lamb of God. In Revelation 5, Jesus is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. It's the oldest name, one of the oldest names for Jesus. And it refers to his strength, his power. And then in verse 6 of Revelation 5, we go from the lion to the lamb. Literally, the word is used, a little pet lamb. Now think about it. God had the Jews bring the Passover lamb into their house. And they didn't kill that lamb the first day. They kept that lamb for four days. It was like a homework assignment. It was like an object lesson for four days. Then they'd slit its throat. Then they'd put the blood on the doorpost. But they got used to it for a few days and then it was violently killed. This lamb is the true Passover lamb, God's only son. But Revelation 6 is where we find scary nightmare lamb Jesus. Go there with me. Revelation chapter 6, you got to see this. This is a passage that should frighten us. Kids, I'm sorry, but sometimes it's necessary to scare you. Revelation 6 should scare you. Every one of us, from the oldest to the youngest. The poured out wrath of God and the pent up wrath of the Lamb is coming to full fruit and this wrath is not make-believe. God's wrath is very real and very frightening. Wrath is love offended. The awesome fury of God who hates sin. People don't want to preach wrath, but judgment day is coming. Here's what it says. Look at Revelation 6. Go to verse 15. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? You see here that all who reject the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, will pray to rocks and wish they were dead on the day of the great wrath of God and of the Lamb. Do you believe in Jesus? To the point where you have placed your faith and your trust in him alone for salvation? If you don't, now you will on judgment day. 
you see this little lamb. This seemingly helpless little lamb that was God in the flesh that was not helpless but almighty. All powerful to do everything that was in God's mind as he purposed to do in order to save sinners. And this lamb has come and has done the work necessary to bring us to God at the cross. And he has risen from the dead which we will joyfully and intently celebrate next week. This lamb is coming back in full power and authority and triumphant certainty of God. He is a lamb to be feared. You don't mess with this lamb. All those who have rejected this lamb will cry out in anguish and run from his wrath. They will scream in agony and they will say, hide us from the wrath of the lamb. Who's afraid of a lamb? Who's afraid of a lamb? Only those who hated him without cause and attributed to him the most heinous crimes and would not, refuse not to bow in humble faith and dependency and they have fought against believing because they are held captive by the devil to do his will. If that is you today, you must turn from your sin now and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who can stand? No one can stand. None of us apart from Jesus can stand. We cannot stand without Jesus. All we can do is get on our knees and confess our sin and humbly seek forgiveness from God and focus our faith like a laser beam on the Lamb who was slain. We only stand by grace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is notable. This is noteworthy. The stone that the builders rejected, the rock of ages, is the lamb that was slain. The lamb that was slain is the one that you need to have a talk with. And the lamb will come as a fierce lion in days to come, and you will run for refuge to the lamb and be received in love, or you will hide from his wrath because you will worship the lamb of the beast there is no middle ground it is so easy to look down upon a helpless lamb it it is easy to not respect the lamb but every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father the one who has been given the name above all names is the lamb the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world there will come a day of a great face-off. The Lamb of God has two faces. And one is the face of wrath. C.S. Lewis said, it's a sight that ought to make your blood run cold. The other is the face of suffering love. The face of one whose throat was slit for the sins of his people. And one of those faces is turned toward you today. This very moment. And when your time comes, which face will you see? Lord God, we love to not think about this. We love to think we have plenty of time 
to deal tomorrow with something that we should be serious about today. So Lord, may we consider our destiny now before it's too late. None of us has a self-cleaning heart. We're all dirty because of sin. We all need grace. And Lord God, until you open our eyes to the truth in your perfect time, we will go hell-bent on our way. But when we come to our senses and want to believe and repent and obediently follow Christ, you receive us in love. And we praise you that though our sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And Lord God, we know that the Christian life is all about loving Jesus. We love you, Jesus, because you first loved us. May we love you more as a result of today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.